from KQED. Hey everyone, I'm Emmanuel. I'm Kali. And I'm Jamidra. And we're the hosts of The Cooler, your weekly dose in pop culture commentary. Today we are joined by Luna Malbro, a diversity consultant for schools and workplaces by day, a hilarious comedian by night, an app creator sometime between there, and also potentially the love child of Tyler Perry and Oprah Winfrey. (laughs) Welcome to The Cooler, Luna. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. So happy to be here with you guys. It's so cool. (laughs) Well, you know we have to start off talking about why you're making headlines right now. You created this fabulous app called Equitable. Yes. The slogan is, quote, reparations one meal at a time, end quote. (laughs) So for those who have not heard of Equitable and who are not on their game, not living life right, tell them what it is. So Equitable was an app that I initially created at Comedy Hack Day here in San Francisco as part of SF Sketchfest. The hackathon brings comedians and techies together. And I pitched the idea because I had a vision of equality 2.0, as we call it. <laughs> you had a dream. I had a dream. Okay. 2.0. And I was just like, you know, it's time for, you know, some, some people like me to bust up in there and disrupt some things in the tech world. And so my vision was to create an app that basically split meals based on the percentage of the U.S. dollar that someone earned. So me, being a black woman, I I earn, on average, 64% of the dollar that every white male makes. So the way the app works is Mm. that it splits the bill in proportion to that. So it's really a comedic conversation on the wage gap, and it's making a lot of people angry. (laughs) (laughs) Of course it is. To clarify, this was a joke initially? or This was a comedic joke at a a comedy competition, yeah. In the process of creating this comedic app, uh, I was working with actual developers and people with that tech background who were actually able to put it together. Mm -hmm. So we, we did it for the Comedy Hack Day, won first place, and then was just decided, let's build this thing out. We actually have the talent and ability to do that, and it is here. It That's has the arrived. thing I love, because I was reading um, in The Atlantic, um, Robinson Meyer, the tech journalist, called the demo brilliant, and he said, speaking as a tech reporter... It's better than 99% of the app ideas you see coming out of the Bay Area nowadays. Like, did that just strike you as, like, bizarre and ironic that that this had happened, that it was a comedy app, but you actually ended up producing a really genuinely great app full stop? Yeah, I mean, I'm still pinching myself. Like, if someone would have told me early January that I'd be the CEO of an app company in March... (laughs) I mean, it's it's all been so crazy, and I love how much has really taken off. And I think it's really struck a chord with a lot of people because the wage gap is something people like to talk about. And I think just even the idea of people actually doing this mm-hmm. is really exciting for some and incredibly scary for others. And I think people love fear. So I think that's <laughs> <laughs> fear factor. Fear <laughs> factor. So speaking of the people who are fearful mm-hmm. and haters and all that. The tech world is notorious for being super duper white and also pretty much male. And I was wondering how it's been busting in there with a product that is pointing out white privilege and male privilege. And I was wondering if you've received any pushback and, of course, the accusations of reverse racism, which is a thing, guys. The classic. (laughs) Well, thank you for asking me that that question. I think it's it's been really striking to me how, how few reporters have actually asked me that question. 
because the whole time I'm like, hey, has anyone else noticed that I'm a black woman that also created an app in the tech world? And <laughs> they, they, don't, they don't see race. Yeah, they don't see they race. Don't. Just, someone created an app about reparations. Who could it have been? I think she's transparent. Yeah. <laughs> I think the whole process was really interesting because the comedy world is also very male-dominated. And so when I walked into the hackathon, it was really interesting because I was the only woman of color there. Uh, I was mostly, I'd say, 90% men, 10% women. And I walk oh in God. and I... I, I remember feeling like, do I belong here? Mm-hmm. And everyone else had their fancy equipment out. And I actually, earlier that week, my laptop got stolen. So I came in with a <gasps> notepad. And they're just like, let's communicate on Slack to develop these ideas. And I'm oh, just God. like, I'm going to write my ideas out on this old I'm school notepad. And <laughs> I, I think it was so interesting because it's a very like meta kind of experience of what it's like to be a person of color in an industry that's really heavily dominated by men and by white men. And I think that really this whole experience has, has I hope, has paved the way to, to show people that we really need more diversity in tech because this is a comedic idea, but I think there's similar brilliant ideas out there that could be used in the tech world. And obviously there have been some people who have had some some problems with it or who even say like this is racist and that's oh I'm so I'm so glad my day job happens to be an anti-bias educator because I could just say that's not what racism means guys <laughs> let me break some things down for you and I've been really excited to every now and then like break out and explain what equity is versus equality because I think there's a lot of confusion about that. Oh, clarify that right now if you can. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so equity is having different amounts of bathroom stalls for men and women because anyone who's gone to a movie theater or a ball game or whatever, mm-hmm. you see that the lines for women are Come on, they're ridiculous. Yeah. Like you have to wait. It's for ridiculous. Like, you develop a medical problem just waiting in the pretty line. Pretty much. For the <laughs> Show of hands for anyone who snuck into the men's restroom. Because, oh yeah. Oh, I'm. I stay. Two hands up. Strut. And, and by sneaking, I mean boldly walking <laughs> yeah. in and staring people in the face. I dare you. But yeah, so I've gone to the men's bathrooms, and I can tell you mm-hmm. <laughs> that we like women need more stalls because we have different needs, and so that's equity. Equity is creating things so people can have equal access, but sometimes you'll need to do things differently so. People People can reach it. I mean, I love the very concept of this app because if we're really talking about approaching the wage gap and making differences, then wouldn't we really want to think about incentivizing people to do that? Like, let's imagine if people actually had to use this app. How much more quickly do you think white men and high earners would really take some steps to make sure that things were more equal if they actually had to pay more in the end? So I think it's just playing around with that concept. And it's just kind of demonstrating what equity might look like in real life. We're a capitalistic society, so that's how you get people's attention, their wallet. Right. You poke them in the wallet, and they're like, oh. You're about equality? Okay, show me. <laughs> and then you can tweet it, right? Yeah, then you <laughs> can share. Show me, tell me. Right? <laughs> then you can post it on Facebook, too. Oh, well, talking right. of that, I couldn't resist taking a look at some of the comments on <laughs> online pieces about Equitable. Uh, there were some amazing ones. Steal yourselves, guys. Indeed. Oh, so, <laughs> the great thing is all these guys' names are totally public. Like as well, so they're really happy for me to read their names out right now. A guy called Christopher Canal says, "So basically, it's cheaper for me to dine with other white people. So what exactly is this promoting? Segregation? So he's not happy. Uh, someone else says, "If I were a white guy and some woman tried to use that app on me, I'd take it as a joke the first time. But if she was serious, that would probably be the last time I ever took her to lunch, and her <laughs> life would get so much better." I know. <laughs> And uh, a guy called Mike says, an app that lies as much as women do about the wage gap. Oh, God. Nice. The cooler just turned into a vomitorium over here. (laughs) So 
there's a lot of angry feelings around I'm here. guessing Mike is single. Uh, an argument does break out amongst the men about who's got a girlfriend and who has Oh, <laughs> yes. Juicy. You are creating conversations all over mm. the inner sphere. Stirring it up. What Beyonce has to say about that. Hmm. Oh, I do know. <laughs> you know you that bitch when you cause all this conversation. Always stay gracious. Best revenge is your paper. But seriously, I think the most interesting thing that's come out of this for me is a realization that people thought that the wage gap is a myth. Mm. I did not know that. I didn't know that there was people walking around saying the Mm. wage gap myth. Uh, We have laws about it, friends. It comes up again and again in these comments, people saying, well, you know, you think it's real and it's not women. But you know what? After B.O.B. came out for Flat Earth, I'm not not shocked. Anything's possible. possible. Is he okay? Education is important, friends. Mm. And you're doing your part with this app for sure. Yeah, I can just totally see so many white dudes being like, you know what? Let me go protest your employer to get your pay up because I'm sick of paying for so much of the pizza. Because it's impacting them. Yeah. Right. So this is the way forward. Forget whatever laws that are in place right now are trying to be. Sorry, Obama. Yeah. (laughs) I fixed it first. Nice try, Obama. (laughs) Luna's here to save the day. Hashtag fix it first. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So I was browsing your medium. You had a piece about being a gentrifier or like questioning, asking yourself if you are a gentrifier. And you talked a little bit about uh, coming from Louisiana mm-hmm. and sort of like how your your vision of Oakland, what it would be like. Kwanzaa 365. Kwanzaa 365, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so now that you're here, I'd like to know sort of what your impressions are of Oakland and, and do you consider yourself a gentrifier? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. So first of all, I just want to paint this picture because for anyone who saw a different world growing up. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I love that. Which like, is why I'm still mad that I didn't go to a historically black college. Oh, I did, girl. Yeah, I know. Talk about I know. It. <laughs> um, it was awesome. But I just imagine, you know, especially in Louisiana, like there's still so much racism and you can just feel that tension in the air. But growing up, I just imagine that the West Coast Bay Area, just everybody would just be woke all the time. And I'd woke. walk down the street and brothers would be like, hey, my Nubian queen, how you doing today? Like, they would talk to me like that. That doesn't really happen. Um, <laughs> that was not the case. <laughs> it's actually white guys that approach me like that more than anything else. Oh, be like, gosh. hey, queen. And it's just like this hipster uh, white dude. Kind of uh, changes the tenor, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so my experience in Oakland has been really interesting. I live uh, near MacArthur Bart in West Oakland. And I love my neighborhood. It's really important for me to know my neighbors. I kind of feel like I'm not a gentrifier because... For me, I feel like gentrification is moving into an area and expecting that area to adapt to you mm-hmm. or trying to change that area to your needs. And when I move into a community, I'm like, okay, I'm here. I literally know my neighbors. I, I give back to my community. I chastise children on the street when I see them and I remind them <laughs> do their homework and it read. It takes a village. Yes, it takes a village. So I'm <laughs> randomly yelling at kids. You know, I, I mean, it was my vision to be that old lady on the street that's just like, go to school. And I do that. So um, I don't know. I feel like because I'm contributing to my community, that makes me not a gentrifier. Technically, you're a part of the community and I'm you care about the, the culture community. there. Yes. And the history there and the people that have been there before me like I'm working to make sure that they still have a place to stay too so Mm -hmm. that's my goal speaking of being part of a community you recently wrote a great piece for fusion titled when you want to be into BDSM but it's too soon because you're black Mm -hmm. yes in it you discuss how America's treatment of black people from slavery to police brutality has spoiled some parts of your sexual experimentation so can you explain a bit about your experience entering this scene which you've described as being Quote, I have to quote it. It's so good. Quote, overwhelmingly white, like really white, as white as a Rascal Flats concert at a country club (laughs) 
in Montana. <laughs> so yeah, take us through how it is to be in this scene. <laughs> I am all ears. Yes. Well, I mean, in all honesty, I am. I there are people who are in the scene in the scene, and I have like my toe in the water. They don't know me at all the meetings, basically. So I'm still kind of exploring the scene. It's definitely been challenging for me because I'm in San Francisco. I'm open to dating all sorts of people, but primarily the people that approach me are white guys. And they say the darnest things. I feel like I can just come up <laughs> oh with a new God. television show. Like, white guys say the darnest things. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I just cannot. I mean, if, sometimes I'll be feeling someone and, you know, we're out on a date mm-hmm. or having drinks. And then they say something crazy and it just ruins my libido. And I just Aww. can't go on. I mean, um, I, I remember, and I wrote this in the article, like, I'll be with a guy. We're making out and everything seems so great. And then, like, there's the clothing reveal, and he says something like, oh, my gosh, look at those big black titties. And I'm just like, oh, yeah. I'm going to pause you right here. This <laughs> is what, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to stop you right here. And uh, so now I feel like I kind of I kind of have, like, a questionnaire that I have to do before I go on a date <laughs> with anybody, just, like, to figure out how, again, woke they are. Yeah. Just to figure out how much they're fetishizing me, because especially when you do things within BDSM, mm-hmm. it... it it just requires a different amount of safety and, and awareness and conversation and just making sure you're in the same place. And I had an experience recently with a great guy who pretty much asked me to call him master. And I was just like, this is time out. Time, time out. out. Yeah. Time out. I'm not I'm cannot do this. I'm very much too black for this. <laughs> and then like call like call me in 300 years and see how I feel about that. I just think it's still too soon for me. Of course, I've like stumbled upon people who are black and you know, enjoy using that. I've I've started studying about mm-hmm. race play and that's not for me, but it is something that is in the scene and, and you know, you have to move around that very delicately, I think. Harriet Tubman's watching. Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. As you detail. For people who article. don't know, can you break down what BDSM is and also what race play is? Oh yes. So um BDSM bondage dominance, uh submission. Oh my gosh. Wait, I'm like, Sado yes. I'm, I'm like getting all my letters confused. Basically, we're going back to the Rihanna song, like, whips and chains excite me. <laughs> right, right. It's basically that. So it's, it's basically that, whips and chains, and also submission and dominance. That's a big part of it, too. I think a lot of people really focus on, like, either pain or, like, the whips and the props and all those things, but it could just be submission. Uh, and then even, like, tickle torture, that's a part of BDSM. Oh, my God. Those two words I've never heard used in conjunction with each other. Yeah, girl, it goes deep. <laughs> I feel oh like God. I've been, I always say, I feel like Anthony Bourdain of sex. Uh, <laughs> but it's some reservations. Some reservations. I have some <laughs> yeah. So race play is basically when people engage in a sort of playing around with demeaning, playing around with dominance and submission in BDSM or in sex in general, where you fetishize someone because of their race and that gets involved in the sexuality or in the sex, sexual play. So it's not just between blacks and whites. Of course, there are many examples of, of race play happening between whites and Latinos or sometimes, you know, a Jewish person and a white person will play out a Nazi kind of fetish Ooh. thing. That ha- that's, a, that's another that's a thing. thing. thing? That's a thing, too. Oh. Yeah. And then, there, there, you know, you would read about Muslims and Jews kind of playing out different things as well. From my experience, I, I focused a little bit more in my research on black and white race play and just mm-hmm. figuring out the dynamic from that. And a lot of people replay scenes from slavery or the Jim Crow South or even just 
demeaning um, racial epithets like thrown at people. And it, yeah, it goes really deep. So, so when I was doing the research for this, I was talking to people on FetLife, which is the largest online community for BDSM. And I stumbled upon this guy who was telling me about a young woman who had experienced a piccaninny fetish. Mm. So basically, for the listeners, a piccaninny is basically a uh, caricature. Think mm-hmm. of, think blackface, think of something like that. And she met this guy who blew her out from wherever she was in Chicago or something like that and flew her down to Texas where she spent a weekend basically being tied up and positioned in all these different ways and basically had to put on blackface and had to wear hair in certain ways and oh, was really racialized and fetishized in that way and it was really disturbing for her and so that's something that he told me that really shook me to the core and Mm -hmm. I was like okay I thought I was open-minded I thought I was down for everything and really supportive but that's just something this is a taboo too far yeah I mean it it, it made me really glad that I was a comedian and able to make fun of things and not yeah yeah you know so for the listeners who aren't aware can you tell us a little bit about how sex comes into your comedy you have a whole live show around yeah so I have a, a show called live sex sf where we explore sexuality identity basically everything under the sun around love and relationships in the bay area and so for anyone who's listening who's not from the Bay Area, you can pretty much throw a rock and hit someone who's a sexpert here in the Bay. <laughs> like, <laughs> you can find someone who's like a sexual magician, polyamorous clown. I mean, like there's like literally everything under the book here. And uh, I got really fascinated about that. And so really created a whole show around that, which really brings sexperts together with comedians. We have a panel conversation around something around sexuality. And then we have all these great acts that come up too. We have like... Bacchanal dancers and all these really great oh. burlesque people that perform. So it's a really fun show and it's educational. Yeah. And did you start that just because sex is inherently funny? Um, yeah, because it's inherently funny and it's it's something that's really, you know, very near and dear to my heart. When I was, I remember when I was thirteen, I told my parents, "I'm going to be a sexpert." <laughs> <laughs> My poor parents, you know, just like very just Christian, humble folk in Louisiana were just like, I don't know about that. But I really thought, you know, I wanted to be the next Dr. Ruth. And Mm -hmm. then I actually went to school for social work and started practicing therapy. And I I was a therapist for about uh, five minutes. And I was like, no, this is no, I don't want to do this. I don't want to know about all that. Yeah. I would literally just tune people out in the middle of sessions be like, oh, wait, what? What were you saying? You're like, where are the gags? Tell me more about that. They're like, I feel like no one ever listens to me. And you're like, wait, what? (laughs) Tell me more. Yeah. Yeah. That was not for me. But I realized having a show where I get to play a laugh therapist Mm -hmm. is very much for me. So I enjoy that. So you said you went to an HBC in the Bible Belt of all places. So jealous. And you said that you felt the pressure to be a, quote, good Christian black woman. In other words, don't be a hoe, unquote. Yes. So I was wondering, do you still struggle with respectability politics? And if not, how did you get past all that? Damn, that's a good question. I love your show. That's <laughs> time to talk about it. Thank you. Yes. Um, so... You know, I think I'm still, it's something that I'm, it's, I'm evolving out of. And even though I'm a 30-year-old woman who lives in San Francisco, I still struggle with that every now and then. And, and struggle for me looks a lot different because I'm already doing a show called Live Sex. So, I mean, if I'm I'm doing that and if, if you hear my comedy, I'm pretty open about my sexuality. And sometimes I still think, well, you know, what message am I sending here? You know, I'll just share this. It was uh, someone who was a friend of mine very recently had a conversation with me where she had not seen the show Live Sex. And she, 
you know, she said, well, I really want to support the show, but I work with children and, you know, many of them Uh have been victims of abuse and I just don't know about supporting this. And to me, that really grounded me and made me realize this is why I do what I do, because there's still that misunderstanding where if you're talking about sex, it's somehow wrong or inherently bad. And uh, when I do my show, I mention consent and everything like we whatever topic we're talking about. We bring consent into it. We make consent like sexy and mm-hmm. easy to talk about and, and, and funny because it's it's something that's just a part of sex. Right. And so we want that. I want that to be my mission. And so even though I'm still coming across and still coming up against people's perceptions of what I am or who I am, it's something that I'm kind of like, I don't have time for anymore yeah. in my life. And I don't know. I just I've, I'm at this point where I'm really putting myself out there as an artist and it feels really good to just know that there are risks in doing what I do and knowing that whatever I say, someone's going to be mad about it mm. and then letting that go. It's quite freeing. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like you you can call me whatever you want to call me, but I know what I'm doing has a purpose and it's, you know, has an end. So how, how are mama and daddy back in Louisiana feeling about <laughs> live sex? I know, Well, I haven't shared with them that I, I wrote that article yet. That's, that's the one thing I'm going to hide from them. But I, I told them about, it was so funny. I told my dad, I'm doing a show called Live Sex, but it's about sex education. It's on the same line of my mission. And my dad was just like, can't you just call it education? <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's like it's a naming thing. I know, yeah. I know. But now, I mean... They're they're still proud of me. My my parents they're still proud of me. Like my parents are <laughs> incredibly supportive. And um, when my dad introduces me to people, he says I'm a comedian first, which is really sweet Aww. and mm-hmm. it's really nice. And I even made jokes about him. I was I always tell people I was going to call the show Live Sex with Luna Malbro, daughter of Charles Malbro. Oh, <laughs> Just put I him out there. Just put him out it. there. Yeah, I'll just put it out there. <laughs> then he Googles himself and he's like, oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> should have been education with the daughter of. <laughs> well, if nothing else, your show has amazing SEO, obviously, because talk about a term that people are Googling yeah, for. Right. Mm-hmm. right. It is something that I kind of like every now and then I'm like, I kick myself because every, every now and then I'll try to do a Facebook ad and Facebook is just like, we will not let you promote this. You have contravened our guidelines on sexy sex. <laughs> Their algorithm is crazy. Yeah, it is. I don't know if it's a real person or what, but I recently wrote an article about Janet Jackson and Nipplegate. And because mm. it was about nipples in some way, they right. refused to let me advertise it. Those Puritans. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> Those rich Puritans who need to download Equitable I know. immediately. Seems like Facebook could use some Equitable going on over there. Hello. Mm-hmm. Hello. Did you hear what's happening at Facebook where Mark Zuckerberg is really upset at employees because oh, they yes. have this wall where they write on? Some people will cross out black in Black Lives Matter and make <laughs> all lives matter. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, he crazy. Wrote a, he wrote a, a memo that leaked. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. fact that he has to write a memo to be like, hey, guys, let's be respectful of, like, all people is insane to me. Yeah. So it's not surprising that that's the culture that thrives here oh, and yeah. pushes these agendas. And exactly. It's so interesting mm. and, and how much is left that's really unchecked here in the Bay Area because it's just like, oh, we're so liberal, but people move here from all over and they bring their beliefs with them. Well, so. that's what I wanted to ask you, too, because I know you're from Louisiana and yes. my grandmother was from like Providence, Louisiana. One thing she would always say is, well, at least if you're racist, I know you're racist because you're going to exactly. tell me to my face that you're racist. In the Bay Area, she's like, you never know. We know that we're not post-racial. I mean, at right. least a lot of people know that we're not post-racial. 
So what's it been like in the Bay Area? Do you oh, pick yeah. up on things? Oh, I oh I pick it up. I pick up what people are putting down. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've had some some really jarring experiences of racism since I've moved out here in the Bay. And generally, I do feel that, that people are on the right side of things and people are trying. But of course, I have come across some really, you know, every now and then I'll be on the street. And I remember one time this group of kids surrounded me and they were just like, are you going to steal something from us? And what? because yeah, they, in San Francisco, in San, it was in the Inner Richmond. Like, Where's your like, homework? Yeah, <laughs> which, which, <laughs> go to school. It was a really interesting experience because as soon as they told me that, my immediate reaction was to try to steal something from them. <laughs> like it was just like, I'll show you. I just like wanted well, to. I wasn't. Yeah. Like, give me the iPad. I know. I know exactly. I'm gonna. I'm gonna fight you. And I was just like, oh my goodness. Like this is pretty much a mirror of an experience that black people feel across the country of just always being told that you're one way and you feel this kind of anger bubble up. The Bay Area in general has a lot of work to do because we're typically patting ourselves on the back for not being like our relatives in other parts of the country. But we really need to open our eyes and see mm-hmm. we got a lot of nasty things going on over here. And even San Francisco is like the gay mecca. Like, come here. You will be embraced. Exactly. I've been called the F word like so many times here, just like shouted out of a window of a moving car. Mm. It's like, I'm just walking. Like, what is your deal? And like public restrooms are super weird sometimes. And it's surprising. And people are like, oh, well, you moved out there. Everything's good. But public restrooms. Tell tell us about the male public restrooms. Oh, God. (laughs) It's all very much like avert your eyes. Everyone avert your eyes Uh, because no one's gay. And it's that's not a thing. Panic, panic. I love the assumption that just because I'm gay, you're my type. Like I'm going to be in. (laughs) Right. Oh, that's something's going to go down right now. Yeah. It's like if you know anything about me, I am super picky. I like 1% of people. And so I don't like you. Chances are. So don't worry about it. You just hand out little leaflets. Just in case you're wondering. I don't like you. Yeah. Yeah, I see it. Don't want it. So So I was watching your stand up and there's a little anecdote that I would like for you to tell us. Basically, you say... Pandora might be racist. Ooh. <laughs> Break it down. Please oh, explain. Mean, like Pandora, the online radio station. Yes. So Pandora is racist. <laughs> <laughs> just point blank. I'm just going to go out and say it. Um, also, I'm also going to go out and say, Spotify, it's time that you guys sponsor me officially because I've been doing some good work. <laughs> you spend so much time ragging <laughs> yes. on Pandora. Yes. But Pandora is racist because I've noticed when I listen to Pandora, I get a certain type of ad that comes on. And white listeners, please think about this. Have you ever heard this ad come on your Pandora station? Girl, (laughs) do you have bad credit? No. What? You don't hear? I mean, I hear that. That comes up on my Pandora station. Oh, my. I I haven't haven't listened to Pandora. Okay. That's why. It's been a while. I'll get ads like that. I'll always get ads like, you should try Western Union. And all the ads are very sassy, kind of like... The sister-girlfriend dialogue. Girl. Like, it just comes on like that. And I'm like, what is happening here? Mm. And then if I'm with a friend, her Pandora doesn't do any of that. It doesn't do, you know, it doesn't play any of those things. How weird. The algorithm. I feel it's an algorithm. I just just feel like, is someone just figuring out, oh my God, you played TLC No Scrubs. So (laughs) we're just going to drop it. You're definitely one of going to hear that. Well, I mean, there's definitely targeting that happens. I don't know if you saw, recently there was an article floating around about the um, NWA movie. Why am I blanking on the name of Uh, it? Straight Straight Outta Compton. And how the marketers 
did geo-targeting and they showed specific trailers of the movie to bless people who they assumed were black and brown on Facebook and they showed a different ad to people who they assumed were white. Wait, so how was the trailer Ooh. recut? For so it was audiences? recut for the people who were assumed to be black or brown. They got more of like the whole NWA vibe. Like They made it less hardcore because they were like, people know Ice Cube is like a movie star. They don't know him as a rapper. Oh. And so they, yeah. So there is definitely geo-targeting that happens when it comes to ads. With all this like big data and digital technology, they think they know what we want, they make assumptions about us, and then we get the sister girlfriend. Exactly. They Mm. make a lot of assumptions, Mm -hmm. and so those assumptions are coming up. Kudos to you for playing No Scrubs Pandora, because it is the best (laughs) Pandora station ever. (laughs) Like, you do No Scrubs, then some Destiny Child, then some like, no, more drama, I'm tired of all this drama. You gotta try the De La Soul, too. Mary J., the De La Soul Pandora station they just is what I used to rock with. So Pandora is messing up on one front, but on another with the music selection on that station. I was going to say, there's Ooh, like a Pandora so exec that's listening now being like, oh, I mean, I'm kind of conflicted. He's like, give me something. Is give this me good something. press or is this bad press? I just don't know. Right. Overall bad, but, but <laughs> threw him a bone Overall there. Overall pretty bad. <laughs> also in the vein of we read something about you and it was interesting and jumped out. Um, you say in the Fusion article that your personal hero is Samantha Jones from Sex and the City. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Which, you know, that's... A, like an old school reference now in 2016. I'm like, what? To ask I love that you that's like old that. school now. Right? I, know, I, know, I know. I know. I was like, I'm dating myself so much in this article. <laughs> I mean, we're dating ourselves by picking up on it as well. I think I'm interested in asking because it's something that we we kind of chat about uh, the three of us a lot in our personal lives about how Sex in the City was this trailblazer. You know, the fact that it was women talking about sex on TV, but at the same time, you watched it with 2016 eyes, and you watch a lot of the plot lines in the episodes, and it <laughs> You're is like, oh, super. I know. Oh. Quote unquote problematic. Oh, it's so problematic. <laughs> Every now and then I'll look back and I'm like, ooh. Oh, yeah. Not good. Especially the movies. Oh, oh the second one. The you second know. one. Yes. Yeah. Emmanuel and I are like, number mm-hmm. two. That was rough. I just keep thinking of that Lawrence of My Labia joke. No. Oh, no. It's like, you went all the way over there just to make this joke. Can you not? <laughs> it's the most expensive bad joke. <laughs> the writers the were like, we got to get it in. I know. <laughs> Even in the first one, me and my old roommate would always be like, a Louis Vuitton for me. Like, why is Jennifer Hudson doing all of this? <laughs> also, yeah, magical black Jennifer Hudson exactly. coming and saving the day. I know. Yeah. And then here's a beautiful purse, and now go on your way. You've served your purpose. Yeah, Goodbye. Said, be free. Goodbye. I release you from being my assistant. And- oh, gosh. Yeah. Now anyway. Jennifer Hudson has an Oscar, so whatever. Yeah. yeah. She wins. But Samantha Jones is still the best, though. Can mm. we just acknowledge that? <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. Do you still watch the reruns when they're on? I mean, I actually did over, you know, for Thanksgiving break. You know, you go back home and I found myself watching more episodes of Sex in the City. And I'm like, yeah, still want to be Samantha. <laughs> just, I'm still down for that. Her wardrobe is fabulous, you know. I was just taught, like the idea that I was going to be a blogger with a closet full of Manola Blahniks. Yeah. Hello, right. girl. Yeah. What blogger? <laughs> what blogger though can afford that? Famously lucrative <laughs> profession of blogging, <laughs> and also like a mediocre blogger at best. I know. It's not even like she's great. She she's like, oh to be fair, she wasn't a blogger. She was a columnist, right? right? True, because yeah, that was yeah. before blogs took off. Well, because she she didn't know about her MacBook, and she was like that one time she got instant message, and she was like, "Oh my god, can you see me?" And she hides. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and I then I got to thinking. I know yeah. with the worst no, catchphrases I, of all. I couldn't help. But one day. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh god. I was like I was Cinderella and I had all the balls. Like what? <laughs> oh god. So you're bringing like, me back now. What about Samantha struck you? What 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 is that? So I, I imagine that's your character because everybody has a character. But like, I'm Carrie and I'm blah blah, and you're like Miranda blah blah. So Samantha is yours. Yeah, I always tell friends I'm like. I'm not. I'm not having enough sex, and you know. And they're like, "Who are you comparing yourself to, Samantha Jones?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I only slept with four people last year, <laughs> month. Uh, Quotas, girl. Quotas. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, Samantha. J-. But anyway, what really struck me about Samantha, which I still, I'm kind of feeling now because I'm single, and I love that Samantha was just happy being single. She could walk into a room on her own and just own it. And I feel that now. I'm like, oh, I don't really need an arm piece or just like a companion to go about my life and do things. I can just own things on my own and and really feel that power by, you know, being a loved person with great relationships. And I'm single and happily single at that, you know. Speaking of being single, some people are trying to holler at you using unconventional (laughs) methods like... What if I play this Bone Thugs? Oh, man. You guys have done your <laughs> research. <laughs> that is one. I mean, I don't know if favorite is the word for anecdotes, but I think I think what brought me to comedy, honestly, was just so many horrible dating experiences that I would end up telling my friends. Mm-hmm. And it would, it would just laugh about it. And then that became my stand-up material. So... <laughs> I thank these men. But I was back home recently hanging out with some friends. It was four black women sitting down at a table. Mm-hmm. And then a white guy approached us. And, oh, okay. You know? I like that you're like, that's a problem <laughs> yeah. already. Well, just, well, it's a problem, I've been there. but it's also I've like, if a white guy approaches four black women, you're already kind of like, hmm, mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm. like you have, all right. You no, have let me some, see what's going on here. Yeah, here. yeah. Because it takes a lot of balls for a white guy to approach four black mm-hmm. women generally. You know? Because my friends and I be looking angry. Just we do. I'm not saying all black women do. I'm saying I do. So uh, this guy approached us. Things seemed to be fine. We're having a really good time until until he p- presses play on the bone thugs. Until apparently. you know he dropped. Well, the first thing he did was he when we were drinking. Okay, <laughs> first thing he did was say, "Oh, I've never been with an ebony woman before." Oh, see, oh. that's what I'm saying. I knew it. Yeah. I knew there was gonna be something coming right? like that. Right. For, first problem. Mm-hmm. I also want to remind you guys that I was drinking, mm-hmm. okay? Because mm-hmm. normally that'd be enough of a cue for me to walk away. <laughs> You're like, I'm done. Right. But I was drinking and I also was hungry, okay? Because <laughs> that's what we do in Louisiana. We yes. drink and then we eat. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So we were on our way to IHOP. Breakfast getting... of champions. Yeah. Breakfast <laughs> of champions, right? So I'm walking. I get into this guy's car. And then he's just like, oh, wait, oh, you like, got into his car. I got into oh, his car. Oh, my God. You just breezed over right. that. Can Rewind. You not, can you not judge? Did I say IHOP? I, she, like, and she said drinking. She said drinking you, repeatedly. I said drinking, and then I said IHOP. So that combination. <laughs> You've got to get to IHOP I've somehow. I've got to get to IHOP. You know, come on. Don't. Hey. This is a safe space. This is okay. a safe space. So you're in the car. So I'm in the and car. Then. And my friends are, like, my friends are apparently on the way. But they're slow walkers because... Nobody walks in Louisiana. Um, so we're in the car, and he's just like, okay, I think we have time. Let's do this. Like, oh, this? And yeah, I'm like, what do you think, what do you think is going to happen? And he's just like, oh, let's do this. And I was just looking like, what? And then he literally was just like, oh, my God, you're Ebony. I got something for you. And then... Ooh, the accent. I like the accent switched in just there. Yeah, so. yeah. You know, it wasn't like sexy Matthew McConaughey accent. It was just like <laughs> kind of scary. Right. Like, I don't know what's happening. But my vagina's a thrill seeker. So anyway, uh, <laughs> he was like, I got something for you. And then he pops in his CD player. Ooh. This that's is in 2015. Yeah, that's a third warning sign. If it you're doesn't keeping... need serious FM. <laughs> <laughs> just... <laughs> 
means the CDs. Not even Pandora, like, huh? Not <laughs> even Pandora. So it's just like so many warning signs, but pancakes. Okay, so pops in the CD player, and then he's like pressing the track, and all of a sudden I hear boom, 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 boom. Yes. So he just took it all the way back. All the way like, back. He thought playing both bugs in harmony. <laughs> Look at me. An ebony woman to sleep with him. This was his woo strategy. This was his woo strategy. See. Well, I, the reason why I laughed when you said the white guy approached four black women, the last time I was with my friends and we got approached by a white guy it was at Dogwood in Oakland. And it was about four or five of us, and we were all sitting there drinking, having a good time. And he walked up and was like, you guys are black. You guys are beautiful. Oh, my God. You look like Lauren Hill. Uh, oh, God. Mary oh. J. Blige. I've been told that I look like Beyonce also. Wow. <laughs> yes. Like, how many black singers are we going to cycle through that you look right? like? I must say, I am a very, I'm very appreciative of Beyonce right now because she's the most popular black woman in pop culture. So, I just don't look like her. That's- I don't look like her at all. But, you know, every now and then somebody will say you look like Beyonce. And I'm like, huh, I'll take it. <laughs> They're like, that's the only black person I know. Yeah, so. yeah. I will say, years ago, again, dating myself, what I did get was Macy Gray, and that was very upsetting. <laughs> oh. Yeah. That was not Especially if you know where Macy Gray ended up, which is on Fuller House on Netflix right now. Oh, my gosh, she's on Fuller House. You need to watch this episode. It's amazing. Oh, my god. Well, you need to listen to our previous podcast, which Emmanuel really did break it down. <laughs> and I like even do a Macy minutes. Gray impression. It's oh, all there. Man. I can't wait. <laughs> Speaking of music, we usually end with a song from one of us but since you're here we thought you could pick what song we outro to free this choice totally that you cannot stop listening to oh i've been listening to fka twigs Ooh, sexy hair on repeat so sensual very and it's good for a rainy day like this just like very much puts so. you in the mood two weeks two weeks song. yeah, yeah so get in touch with yourself there. and yeah. people around you okay. Okay. yourself <laughs> She's feeling herself. Yeah. I'm feeling myself. I'm feeling myself. I'm feeling myself. Mm. Yeah, so let's listen to it two weeks. <laughs> That was really sexy. Nice. And so are you. Thank you so much for coming on our show. Yes. Sorry I had and educating nipples. us. No problem. Y'all, y'all are the best. <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank Seriously. You. you did your research. <laughs> it's our one job to like, yeah. read up. Yeah. But thank you for coming on. Yeah, You're come back welcome. anytime. Yeah. Oh, you are all very much welcome to any of my shows. Just Ooh. let me know. I need to bring my girlfriends yeah. and just like come. Well, isn't that the tagline? Come. come. It is. Okay. Come. And laugh. Come. Come. Laugh. 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 So, oh, man. This is, uh, my parents, they read an article about me in the show, and they were just like, okay, we just don't get the last line. Because the last line I said, come, mm-hmm. laugh with us. And I was like, you can do both of those things together, but you got to do both those things. And they were like, we don't get it. Ooh. And oh. I was just like, I don't know how to tell my parents. <laughs> like, it's the like, way I, I tell them, guys. How do I explain that? The birds yeah. and the bees in reverse does not work <laughs> as well. Well, it's too bad that your dad won't listen to this podcast because you killed it. Aww. Mm-hmm. Killed Please. it. Can we send him it anyway? We're not going to just do it without <laughs> asking you. Can you call the podcast Charles Malbro? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Charles well, Malbro's daughter. <laughs> now yes. that you've asked. Done. Don't be rude. He'll be on iTunes. <laughs> 
So thanks to David Marcus. Affectionately termed our podcaster. Mm-hmm. Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs for our amazing theme music. Jim Bennett for holding us down in the audio booth. Behind Woo. the glass. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for us this week. Find us on social media at Kikuti Pop. Bye. Bye. Bye.